Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, The title of my message is, We Do This All the Time. We do this all the time. Uh, It's coming up on this sort of tradition we have in my family uh, which is uh, our family picture time. And uh, it's something that we do every single year to honor the, the, the mom in our family who wants consistent yearly family pictures. And uh, we're coming up on it, and it's always uh, a little bit nerve-wracking because uh, maybe you know this as parents, the older you get, the less your kids want to participate, right? And uh, that's saying a lot because when they're really young, they scream and cry and, like, you know, pee on the photo backdrop, you know what I mean? Like, and as somehow, by the time they get to be teenagers, it's worse, right? Like, the, the fits are somehow worse. They involve less urine, but they're, they're, they're bigger in terms of how obstinate they are. And um, we, this is our photo that we actually took last year as a family, and uh, it's, it's cute, it's adorable. Um, what you don't see here is the struggle, the struggle to obtain this photo. And we did what everybody does, right? Like you, we, you know, we, we went out and into the woods, because that's what you have to do now, <laughs> you know? I don't know when we all collectively decided, like, you know, for a family photo to be acceptable, we have to go out to a place that somebody was likely murdered in. Um, <laughs> If there wasn't, like, if I haven't seen this location on a reenactment of, like, a serial killer documentary on Netflix, I don't want my family photo there, right? And so we meet up with this photographer, and we go out into the woods with him, which is just crazy, right? It's like, hey, we don't know you, and you're holding equipment that could be guns. Let's follow you out to an undisclosed location where cell phone technology doesn't work. It just doesn't seem smart, right? If you were watching yourself do it in a movie, you'd be like, don't go with them. Do not go with them. And so knowing this and, and being as paranoid as I am, we recruited a photographer from our church. And, uh, and so we got out to the woods. We found this spot. And, um, and Gretchen's like, oh, I like this tree. This feels really murdery. And so we, we all got together and she posed us. And like, you know, the kids are sort of like pushing and shoving. The reason why the boys aren't like Gretchen is sort of wedged between the boys is because they were pushing each other. They're shoving each other. And as it always happens with boys, at first it's kind of shoving and they're laughing. And then one person actually does get hurt. And then it turns into a full on fight. And then they're really pushing and shoving and punching. And finally it gets to the place where it's like, we just want to take the photo. Tegan's annoyed. Gretchen's annoyed. And so finally Gretchen is boiling over frustration. And she's like, you guys knock it off. Okay, this is not who we are. This is not what we do, okay? And one of the boys, because they're both kind of smart Alex, just fired back and was like, yes, it is. This is exactly who we are. We do this all the time. And my wife, who like wants to make a good impression on this photographer from our church, is like, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not a really... No, and that's not true. And they're like, yeah, it is. Yeah, no, we fight and punch each other all the time. Mom, that's what we do. Remember that? Actually, Mom, remember that time that you got mad that we were fighting and you were so mad that, like, you slammed that, like, cabinet in the kitchen and it broke? 
remember that? And Gretchen's like, <laughs> and I can see her just like tracking the eyes of the photographer who's like, maybe these people are going to murder me. Maybe that's why I'm here. And she's like, maybe I don't want to go to this church anymore. And we're feeling weird and she's feeling weird. And it's just all uncomfortable. And I'm, and Gretchen's looking at me for help. And I'm, I'm looking at her like, is that how that cabinet broke? Because I, you never told me. And I've been wondering why it doesn't work anymore. And it's just like, we were, we were out there right? We, we took this great photo and it looks all awesome, but you know, the people that were there know the real story. And I wonder if you as a family have ever had this situation where someone in your family outed you, right? Like you were trying to put on like a front of like who you wanted to be, but they showed everyone around you who you really are. If you have children, they have definitely embarrassed you to this degree, and you were trying to like pretend that you were like this and you were all loving and nice and everything was great. And then your kids said something and brought something up and you're like, okay, well, that illusion has been shattered. And if you are a kid, specifically one of my kids, like you've been embarrassed by your parents, okay? <laughs> because uh, they pick you up, they shout something crazy and suddenly like who you were trying to be in front of everybody else got sort of shattered when they brought the behind the scenes stuff and put it right in front of everybody, and this is sort of how family works. Um, family has this way of sort of like bringing you back down to size. But sometimes it happens in a really surprising way. Sometimes what they put on display actually catches you off guard because it's not just that they're showing something that you knew was happening behind the scenes. It's that they're showing you something that you didn't know was happening behind the scenes. And I wonder if you've ever realized that there is this gap between your expectations of your family and others' experiences with your family. Like you sort of thought that you were in one sort of family, but then something happens that reveals like, oh no, that's not the family that I'm actually a part of, this is. And in these moments, I think if you're a parent, sometimes it really catches you off guard because you're just like, I don't get it. We talked about this, guys. We talked about the kind of people that we were going to be. Okay, we took home that packet from church and we went through it and we brainstormed our values and we wrote out a mission statement, okay? And we're I, like, you guys were nodding. I thought you were in on it too. I thought you wanted to do it. And I mean, I, it's like, I know that you still know it because I stenciled it above the fireplace, okay? What's wrong with you people? Why can't you just live, laugh, love, okay? Is it that hard? It's three words. And then they do laugh, but it feels like they're laughing at you, not with you. And that's not what you want from those exchanges. And I think these moments that we have with our family sort of stir up all these questions inside of us, especially if we have big dreams and goals for our family, which most of us do. And we start asking things like, well, you know, why is it that the good things that I want for my family never seem to stick? Like, why aren't we becoming who I want us to be as time goes by? Like, why is it that, why doesn't my family care about or follow through on the values that I thought that we all agreed on? And if I find myself in a place where I realize that we aren't the way and they aren't the way that I want them to be, like, you know, how do I make them or steer them towards something else? And I got to tell you, if you have ever sort of wondered these questions, you are not alone. This is super 
normal. This is what it is to be a parent. Parents have wrestled with these types of questions ever since there were parents. And in fact, Scripture is full of these sorts of stories. One of the ones that I think pinpoints this tension so perfectly is this story in the Old Testament involves this guy named Joshua, who has an immediate family, but he also has this leadership role that, that sort of casts him as the father of the children of Israel. So he takes over leading God's people in the Old Testament right after Moses, who uh, took them out of Egypt, freed them from slavery, and established sort of their family values from God. And they start living according to these certain, you know, rhythms and rituals. And then Joshua takes over. And like shortly into his uh, leadership of these people, he realizes that they're not really living according to the values that they set out to. That somehow they've drifted. That, that like they're not really being the things that they said that they believed in. And so he does what a lot of families do, right? He like gets everybody together, puts them all in a room, and he gives them a dad talk. And you've done this, parents, right? Where you're like, everybody sit down, we need to talk. And um, anytime you do that, it's never like, it's not usually a pleasant thing, right? It's not usually like, guys, we have an extra $5 million, and how are we going to spend it as a family, right? It's never that, right? It's just like somebody's leaving their underwear on the couch, and it's one of two people, right? It's, it's always something where you're being confronted by something. And this is what Joshua does. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 says this. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And then he goes sort of on this rant that lasts multiple verses where he's sort of going over all of the incredible things that God has done for these people that they're not really appreciative of, which is what most parents do when they give you a talk, Right? You kids do not appreciate everything your mother and I do for you. We cook, we clean, we slave for you. Cleats aren't free. You know how much gas prices are to drive to a game that you're playing that you didn't even have the courtesy of winning? <laughs> that was a $300 trip. I hope you're appreciative, right? It's kind of, this is kind of how it starts, but like in a God sort of spiritual way. Then he says this, verse 14. He says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped and serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And so as it turns out, Joshua is actually really good at dad's speeches and everyone's inspired and they get all worked up, and then they respond like as a group. And this is what they say in verse 16 of that same chapter. It says, the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Our God rescued us from slavery. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. He drove out those living in the land he promised to us. And so we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. And like the, the music was building and everyone was like, ah, and it was just like, it was just this amazing moment. And Joshua was like, this is exactly what I was hoping for when I envisioned the speech initially. The people are with him and they're all like, we're gonna do this. We want to go after the vision that you put in front of us. We love it. And they do for like a, li a little bit. 
And then the very next book, something else happens. It, like, it's, it's weird. Like, at the end, this is like the end of Joshua. The very next book is Judges. This happens at the end of Joshua. You turn over, it's like literally just a, a page away. And you get into Judges, and this is what we're told. Judges 2, verse 8. Joshua died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land that had been allocated to him. And after that generation died, his generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. It's so interesting to me. I feel like if we were watching the movie version of this, there would be a scene right where everyone's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to be the greatest family ever. And they're all hugging each other and like, we got this. And then it jump cuts to 40 years later. And everyone's like, yeah, we didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, whoops. <laughs> In fact, uh, just to be real, we ended up doing like a lot of evil. So that's kind of the opposite direction that we originally got excited about. What happened? And the reason I bring this up is like, isn't this the same tension a lot of us find ourselves in with our own family? Like we find ourselves in the same place where something happens and we realize like, oh, these people in my family don't believe like I thought they did. And what I'm seeing right now, they actually don't behave the way I hoped they would. And I'm sort of disillusioned. I don't know what to do with this because the family I'm actually in is very different than the one I thought I was in. And I'm not sure what to do with that discrepancy because this is not what I wanted. The Joshua story, generations earlier, like knowing this tendency, God actually gave his people, the children of Israel, instructions to live by in order to hold on to their values. So these people are not confused about what they ought to be doing to become the sorts of people that they and God want them to be. Like, I'll read you exactly what God tells them to do, or at least a snippet of it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and I know a lot of you are like, man, I hope we read some Deuteronomy today, and, and we're definitely, you're going to get that. That wish is going to come true. Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And some of you are like, I thought Jesus wrote that. And he didn't. He was plagiarizing, um, as it turns out. Because that's actually Moses wrote that. But technically, Moses just wrote what God told him to. And Jesus is God. So it's like, I guess actually did come from, G it's kind of like an inception, right? Like it's like Jesus planted it in Moses and then took it from him and then he was like, whose idea is it really, right? It's just crazy. In verse six, he says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this passage, just to give you some context, is called the Shema. And it's a part of this Jewish practice of reminding yourself regularly of who God is 
and who you are, who he made you to be, and what he's called you to do. And it's echoing this thing to yourself and repeating and reinforcing it to yourself over and over and over again because they believed that the more you did, the more it would take hold of your heart so that you wouldn't sort of veer away from what truly matters. And that's sort of true, but you're smart enough to understand that like just talking about something a lot isn't enough. Right? For a belief to take root, it has to move beyond something that you say to something that you do. Because the truth of the matter is, your values are really just wishes unless you design disciplines around them to empower you to embody them. And some of us, were confused because we're like, oh, I, I thought this is what we valued. This is, this is who we're going to be. And, and what you maybe are realizing right now is that wasn't a family value. That was a mom wish. Because we can want to be something, but until we actually begin to practice that something, it has no impact or effect on who we really are. And this is why God gives these people all these rituals to repeat feasts and offerings and sacred days and seasons of fasting and collective prayers. And all of these things are things that these people, this spiritual family is doing when Joshua is leading them. It's what kept their family values in front of them. Now, did they always feel like doing these things? No, but they did it anyway because they had this sense that these practices would instill in them and their children who they wanted to become long-term. Because if your beliefs aren't regularly reflected in your behavior, you won't believe them for long. And the reason is because we gather clues about who we are and what we value from what we observe ourselves doing. This is why positive affirmations by themselves don't work. Because your brain is too smart for that. Right? Like what you say has to match what you see. Or else your brain is just like, mm, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, what we are saying about ourselves, like we can't find any evidence that we have ever done those things. So you can say it all you want to, we're not believing you. And when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about like the voices in your head because you have them. Like for instance, if, if you decide like I'm gonna be a runner, you can tell yourself you're a runner all you want to. And your chubby body is going to be like, we are not a runner. This is not real. That's a wish, not a value. Okay? But how you might actually transition into becoming a runner and believing that you're a runner is to behave like a runner. Right? To get up every morning, to like tie your shoes, to go out and to start running. Or if you're like me, just kind of like jog limping while grabbing your side wincing, cursing the skies, you know, the whole thing. And if you do this consistently on a regular basis, eventually it gets a little bit easier. You adapt to the behavior. And after a while, this is the way your brain starts responding. Your brain is just like, I think we might be a runner because we're constantly running. Like I can constantly see us doing things that a runner does. And so that we might be a run. I think we are. I think we're a runner. 
And then um, another voice in your head is like, we should probably get some therapy. There's a lot of voices in here that are sort of speaking unchecked. What is that about? And over time, what happens in this story is Joshua's people abandon their rituals and their belief system erodes. And they lose sight of God in a single generation. Wow. And they didn't set out to do this, right? It just happened. And it happened in the same way it happens to us, right? We just, like, we skip a few. We sort of, we rationalize and compromise. And, you know, we think to ourselves, or at least I think these people thought to themselves, I mean, do we really need to write it everywhere? That seems excessive. I mean, I don't want to, I'm kind of a minimalist, so it's like, I don't want to have to put it, like, everywhere, everywhere. Also, I do not like that font. And so I'm just really, ugh, papyrus, seriously? Like, we get rid of it. I mean, do we really need to, like, do we really need to talk about it that much? It's like all we talk about. It's so, I mean, do we really need to go and do that thing every week? And before long, we get to this place where it's barely written or talked about or practiced at all. And we wake up in this place where the values that were so central to who we wanted to be devolve into an irrelevant tradition we no longer have any connection to, interest in, or understanding of. And one day, like these people, we realize, I don't think we are who we thought we were anymore. Isn't this like how the pandemic sabotaged so many of us? You just got out of the habit of certain things. I run into people all the time just when I'm around town, and, um, which is always awkward, you know, as people bump into me and they immediately start apologizing for things. And I'm like, I, you're not in trouble with me. I don't know what we're... <laughs> they're like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, uh, I haven't been to church or whatever. And, you know... And naturally, I'm just like, well, obviously, you're going to hell. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, you're going to make it up with God, not me. No, I would never say that. I would never say that. J.R. would. But I would never. No, I'm just kidding. He's, no, he's full of grace, too. But I bump into people, and they're just like, oh, man, you know, we haven't been. But we need to get back into it, right? We need to get back into it because we just, we got out of the habit. We didn't mean to. We got out of the habit. But here's the reality of just the way people work, the way you work. Being out of practice changes our priorities. When we stop doing certain things, we stop being a certain person. And the really problematic thing about this is all of the benefits we were receiving from that ritual evaporate when we stop practicing the ritual. And if we don't connect the dots, sometimes we're confused. They're just like, I don't know what happened. Like, why are my kids so selfish all of a sudden? I mean, it dates back to when we stopped going to church regularly, but I don't know how it happened. I don't know why I don't think about or am concerned about or live God's way as much anymore. And I'm like, why could that be? One ancient proverb says it this way. This is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. You've probably heard this before. Train up a child way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, what you need to understand about this is that Proverbs aren't promises, they're probabilities, okay? So a probability essentially says, you know, most people who do this get this result. 
right? Like, I mean, I'm not, it's not a guarantee, but it's likely, statistically speaking. The, the ancient author is essentially saying, like, what all the research we have currently is pointing to is this. And these ancient wisdom writers are saying, like, here's what we've observed over time is typically true. And this is saying that family values are the result of training, not telling. That they aren't transferred by trying and hoping and just, like, praying occasionally, They're embedded by building schedules and practices and rituals around what we say really matters. And then repeating those things by doing those things again and again and again and again. Because the truth is, what you do with your family teaches them what's important to your family. And this is because experiences are more impactful than explanations. Nobody cares what you say. They care what you do. Like my version of, of, of this proverb would just be like, don't be a fat coach. Because you've had them, right? Just standing on the sidelines, yelling out orders, eating a donut, 200 pounds overweight. They're like, you guys aren't working hard. And you're like, you have never worked hard. Wearing a sweatsuit you've never sweat in. So for that time you had a stroke. That wasn't exercise triggered. Right? You start getting angry, right? Because you, we all do this, right? Even as a kid, uh, like on a Little League team, you were like, who are you to tell me? I see what you're doing. You don't do this stuff. Why should I do what you tell me to do? And I think this is why Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, keep putting into practice all you learned from me, everything you heard from me and saw me do. This is so fascinating. This is, again, one of the early church fathers telling the family of God in one of the very first churches, like, you want to be the types of people that Jesus wants you to be? He could have just said, I'm the authority, do what I say. That's not what he says. He says, Keep putting into practice not just the things you heard from me, but you heard it and then you saw it. That's powerful. Do the things that I was like, this is what you ought to do, and here's how you do it. Watch me. In fact, come along with me. Let's do it together. If you want to live the spiritual life and have a connection with God and value things that you don't automatically like I do, don't do what I said. Do what I do. This verse illustrates that the most effective teaching and training involves envisioning, demonstrating, and practicing alongside of consistently, not condescending to lecturing and threatening occasionally. And this is why some of us did not grab hold of the values that somebody else tried to give us because they were rattled off once and then we were yelled at every so often. And that doesn't work. And here's what's crazy. Modern social researchers are telling us that like the observations that these ancient biblical wisdom writers came up with, everything their research was coming up with, 
modern scientific research is, is also coming up with the same exact concepts. Teachers, coaches, and parents that get the best results are, are typically high standard, high support. Now, what this means is that they push kids to be their best and pursue things that matter, but they don't abandon them to do it alone. They do it alongside them. They say it, and then they do it with them. And they, they call the people that they're training up out on not giving their best or settling for less than what they're called to or capable of. Now, this may sound interesting to us, but like some of us are just like, yeah, I, that, that top one, that orange one, that's not what, no, that's not what like I've seen, right? We, we've seen other styles, right? We, we, we've seen the effects of other equations, like low standard, high support, right? This is where like, you know, listen, I don't want to expect too much of you. I don't want to tell you anything to do. Okay, I don't want to set a standard. Like, you just, you just do you, and I will just help you, okay? I will give you whatever you want, whatever you need. Um, you're making some unwise decisions. You know what? I don't even want to say they're unwise. You're, you're making some decisions. I'm just going to refill that Amex card, you know? We're just going to see what happens, right? And here's the thing. This is not my opinion. I'm just telling you what the statistics are, are, are showing us. This typically creates entitled, arrogant adults as they grow up who have not enough self-understanding or self-awareness to know how much hard work and sacrifice is actually necessary to become the kind of people they want to be and step into the dreams that they have. Uh, what do you mean, live up to a standard? There shouldn't be any standards. I should just get whatever I want because I'm awesome. I'm a unique and beautiful snowflake. I'm a princess who deserves the best. But some of us, we grew up in the opposite sort of environment, high standard, low support. We had all the standards. This is what you will do when you live in this house. This is what's going to happen. It's my way or the highway. And I'm not helping you. It's do it or else. I don't know how to do it. Figure it out. And usually the or else is not like a fun thing. Or else. We're going to Chuck E. Cheese. You know, it's not that. It's like, or else, when dad comes home, there's going to be hell to pay. And these sorts of environments typically create kids who grow up to be rigid adults, riddled with insecurity, and often prone to rebellion. They want to do the opposite of what they were told to do as just a means of escaping the fact that they could never measure up no matter how hard they try. And I would say, you know, most of us lean toward one or the other. We tend to, you know, either be high standard or high support. And I'm guessing you are whichever one you got nudged the hardest during when I was talking about it. Whichever one your kids call you out on and may hurt your feelings about later, that's the one. And why do we land where we do? I think a lot of us, we tend to want to give what we didn't get growing up. And that's great as long as you also give what you did get growing up. 
Otherwise, you end up like, like, oh, here are the positives, but I didn't like these negatives. So you, you swing the pendulum over here, and now you create another generation that now has this deficit. And so guess what they're going to do? They're going to swing it way over here. And it never ends up landing in this balanced spot where nobody is lowering the standards or the support. They're keeping them both at a high level because that's what healthy family looks like. And so, like, how do you do that? I think setting a high standard looks like this, just in case you need some training wheels to get going. This is what I expect of you, and here's why. This is what I expect of you, and here's why. You need to do this with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with your in-laws. This is what I expect and here's why. The other addendum that's on the slide is, and here's what may happen if you choose not to honor this. Hmm. Supplying high support looks like this. What do you need from me to do what I expect from you? That's high support. And, and the reason why you need to actually ask the question is because what feels supportive to one person actually feels crippling to another person. Have you noticed this? I, I noticed this in my own kids. One kid, I have to be like really stern and straightforward and look him in the eye and use my dad voice. Hey, this is what I need from you. And this is why it's important. Do you hear me? Yep. He'll actually come back and be like, thanks for that. I needed that. I got another kid who if I did that, they might die on the spot. <laughs> oh, like they're so tender, you know what I mean? Just crumple to the ground and melt, you know? It, it's different, right? Different people are different. Support looks different to different people. And that's why we need to ask the question. But I would tell you this. Just because something's good for your kids doesn't mean they're going to want to do it. And guess what? This may come as news to you. They don't have to want to do it. You don't need that. In fact, they are probably going to fight you on some things if you're doing the right things. Why? They're children. <laughs> this is why you are the parent, not them. This is why you get to be in charge, not them. And can we all just stop making the horrible excuse like, well, if I make them do it now, they're going to hate it later. I just, this is a, uh, like an illogical loophole uh, argument that doesn't even work all the time. I gotta tell you, I've insisted as my kids are growing up that they all be potty trained and none of them hate restrooms. It's weird. I made them, right? Because at a certain age, they were like, I wanna pee in my pants. And I'm like, no, we're done. And I made them, I rewarded them. I set a high standard and I gave a lot more support than I wanted. I put up, remember those years that was like just a lot of like, you'd hear from the other room, wipe me, wipe me. You know, and eventually you're just like, listen, you're 12 now. You need to, there's certain skills you need to pick up. We got to be done, babe. You're babying him. We got to be done. 
You know, I insisted that my kids, all my kids as they were growing up, that they not leave the house naked. And none of them hate clothing. They all love it. I know, my budget reflects it. I would argue that kids don't hate helpful habits. They hate hypocrisy, and so do you. And this is why you don't want to be a fat coach. Because they'll just stop listening. We hate being told to prioritize something that the one telling us doesn't practice. But if you're willing to explain the benefits to them and consistently train alongside them, that's different. And maybe you're thinking like, okay, so if I approach it like that, they're always going to do what I'm asking excitedly without complaining. No, probably not. But you should do it anyway. Another author says this in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. I love that there's an exclamation point. He yells it. Nobody wants to do this stuff. So why do it? Afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Interesting. He's like, expect a fight when you implement certain things that are good, but don't feel good. Why would you keep up that fight? That's painful. And not just for them, for you. Why would you do it? Because eventually there's going to be a peaceful harvest If you fight on this front for long enough, it will give birth to peace because they will have adapted a behavior that enforces their belief system. Then he says this as a way of encouragement. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak needs. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak will not fall but become strong. He's saying like, listen, everyone has things and days that they don't feel like doing something that they know they need to do. That's normal, do it anyway. But he's encouraging us by saying this, the reason your family doesn't value what you want them to may just be that they need more practice. And so when you have these moments where the gap appears between what you expected from your family and what you're experiencing with your family, What this ought to tell you is not to abandon everything and take the easy path, but to say, I think we may need a little more practice. So he's like, take a new grip. Put on some knee sleeves. Keep doing the exercises. Put that priority on your schedule. Push through the uncomfortable parts because with God's help, you can do it. And I got to be real, sometimes this looks like, as a parent, I know you do not feel like doing this thing, but you need to do it, and here's why. And I'll be real with you, I don't feel like helping you do this thing, but I need to. And if we both commit to this, I'm telling you that this practice will keep us on the course to become our best selves. What I do know is that the best way to embody your values is to implement regular rhythms and routines to reinforce them. Another way to say it might be our priorities are revealed by our scheduled practices more than our stated passions. 
What do you really care about? What is your family really about? What do you actually value? Let me look at your schedule. Let me see what you do. Let me see what you do together. Let me see the things and the time slots that you do not compromise on. And this is what Joshua knew that the generations after him failed to, that training is everything. So when it comes to you and your family, I just want to give you some questions as we're sort of like, like ramping this down today so that you can bring this home and apply this. And there's going to be too much to write. So this is a good time to like bring out your phone and take a picture of these things so that you can bring this home and have these conversations with your kids, your family. And the first question is this, like, do you make values-based decisions as a family and then voice the reason behind them? Or do you make decisions based on just who throws the biggest fit? What's the most convenient or what we feel like doing in the moment? Good question. I mean, I wrote it, but like, I still like it. <laughs> Is what you say you value present in your weekly schedule? Oh, we care about that. When's the last time you did it? Two years ago. But it's most important. It's important. Is there anything on your schedule that reinforces the opposite of your values? Sometimes we're undermining ourselves because we've got things on our schedule that are actually reverse engineering what we're trying to do or what we think we're doing. Does everyone in your family know what you're trying to be and do together and why? If you went around and were like, what do you think our family's about? Do you think you'd get the same answer? Or do you think you'd get like a bunch of different versions of what it is we're all here doing together? When you see someone acting in alignment with your values, do you stop and celebrate that? Hey, time out real quick. Can I just say, you, I saw you doing this thing that we really care about and I think that's awesome. And some of us are just like, why, why do I need to like celebrate them? They should be doing it anyway. Well, what you reward gets repeated. And so if you're not stopping and celebrating the right things, eventually they'll find something that somebody else will celebrate them somewhere else. And that will become their value system. And how often do you revisit your schedule as a family to see if you veered off course? And I actually believe like if Joshua would have done this, Joshua's people would have done this as he was aging and becoming less involved. Like I wonder if they would have gotten a different outcome in their family, if things would have been different. But they didn't. And one day they found themselves in a place where they're just like, we are not who I thought we were. We don't believe what I thought we did. We don't behave in the way that I hoped we would. And I wonder when it comes to you, will your family's memories of what you did to bond together be based on deep-seated values or just throwaway activities? Because the things you do together come to define you. And so here's the big question that I hope you wrestle with all week and not just think about, I hope you take action on. Is the schedule you keep likely to produce the traits you say you value? Is the schedule you keep likely to produce the traits you say you value? If not, maybe it's time to make a change because you can shift some things. You can implement some rhythms and routines and rituals and you can steer your family in a healthier, holier direction.
And I want to pray that God will give you the courage to do that in your family. Would you bow your heads with me across this room today? God, I'm grateful for every person in this place. I'm thankful for your love for us, for the life that you've given us, and, and the fact that you, you show us the best way to live. And God, I pray that as we take inventory of our family, of the things that we do, not just the things that we say, that we would seek to sync up who we say we want to be with what it is we consistently do. And God, may those practices reflect who you are, your priorities. And may we, just by living our everyday week, be becoming like you because we're doing what you say is best to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.